to the $100 MBA show, business insights delivered on the daily every single day with our daily 10 minute business lessons for the real world. I'm your host, your coach, your teacher, Omar Zenholm. I'm also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an independent software company I started with my co-founder back in 2014. And today's episode is a very special one, an extended interview, a new format we've been experimenting with recently on the show. Today's conversation is with John O'Nolan. Earlier in John's career, he was the deputy of design over at WordPress, and now he's the founder and runs ghost.org, which has quickly become WordPress's biggest competitor. A platform I've been talking about a lot recently because I believe it's the number one go-to blogging platform for content creators. But in today's conversation with John, we really pull back the curtain. We get into John's beautiful mind and understand why he started Ghost, what are some of the important questions he asked himself so he can decide what kind of business he wants to build, what kind of work he wants to do, and how he wants to live his life. If you've ever wondered, how can you build a highly successful business, but still have an enjoyable lifestyle, then you're gonna absolutely love today's episode. Let's get into it, let's get down to business. Support for today's show comes from Capella University. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. I'm so excited to share with you this conversation with John O'Nolan because it's one of the best chats I've had in a long time period, with anybody. And I'm so happy that I recorded it so I could share it with you. I met John back in 2019. We were both invited uh, to a conference, the Running Remote Conference in Bali, and we quickly became fast friends. Full transparency, I was just very interested in getting to know John because he was so interesting as a person. He possessed qualities and honestly, a life that I really admired. He runs a fully remote team that runs Ghost. They're pretty slim, very efficient, and are growing at a really nice pace. They're so, so successful in my opinion because they built an incredible product, a really solid product, which is half of all the work you need to do in running a business. Well-known brands use ghosts like Tinder, DigitalOcean, Unsplash, Square, Airtable, the Stanford Review. I can go on and on and on because I'm so proud of John. He's done such a great job with his company, but Today's conversation is not so much about that. It's about how he did it all. But more importantly, how did he come up with the idea that he wanted to do this, that this is the path he should take, how to run a business in a highly competitive space, and how not to lose all your hair in the process, how to still enjoy life. You're gonna absolutely love this conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to share with you that conversation, but I'll be back to wrap up today's episode a little bit later on, but for now, Enjoy the chat with John O'Nolan. So good to have you, John O'Nolan. It's been a while. Last time we spoke or saw each other in person was 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, I think last time I saw most people I know was was 2019. But uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, John, you uh, started Ghost um, pretty much on your own at the start, and then grew your team. Uh, slowly, uh, you have a very interesting uh, business model. Like you're you're a non for profit. Uh, you are also totally remote. Um, 
And there's a couple of things we're going to go into about your your business and how you run your business and how you got to where you are today. Uh, but before all that, I, I want to talk a little bit about you as a person, because it's funny because I, I remember we spent a few days, we met each other at a conference. Uh, we were you know, fortunate enough to be invited to speak at a conference in Bali. And um, I was just uh, loving every moment of hanging out with you. You were just, we made like, I just felt like we became fast friends and all our conversations were just friendly and just as if we don't know anything about business. Like it was just, it was, that's what I love about it. And then, and now I'm like, I have all these business questions, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad that's how our relationship started. Cause it was, it was just a natural kind of um, progression. Um, so my first are kind of the best uh, yeah. conversations. Uh, it was great. I mean, we, we were making jokes and it was just a lot of fun. Um, so the thing that struck me the most about you, John, is that I felt like out of all the entrepreneurs I know, and I know a lot and I met a lot and worked with a lot, you're somebody that strikes me as somebody that really values balance. Like you're, I feel like you're very balanced in life. Like you love your business and you love your work, but it's not everything to you. Like you have a life and you have a relationship and uh, you value culture and you value your hobbies. And like, I just felt like this guy is probably more balanced than most. Probably I'm a little envious and would love to tap into that. So I want to learn a little bit more about that. I want to know, like, is that intentional? Did you actually say, okay, I want to build a business around the way I want to live? Or did you say, you know, did you work yourself to the bone and say, oh, no, this is stupid. I'm going to start being more balanced. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. It's interesting that you um, you chose that particular word uh, of balance because after um, a lot of years of, of me kind of talking about the way in which I think about um, business and the things that I really value, um, balance is kind of the word that I had landed on and really uh, come to hold as my kind of ideal um, and truth in, in life. And up until only very recently, I don't think I'd really settled on that word, but it's it's funny that you picked up on it um, without really any sort of prompt. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I mean, to answer your question, it's for me, it's very much intentional and um, it's probably the thing I spend the most time thinking about um, over and above business growth or revenue growth or product growth or customers. It's um, balance and, and how to achieve any number of those things um, at the same time as uh, as their opposites. I, I really find that interesting that you talked about like it's more than just uh your habits it's the way you see life it's it's kind of almost the meaning of your life you know like i i don't want to get too woo or too spiritual here or why not who cares but the point is is that <laughs> the point is i think we get bombarded with so many pieces of advice so many quotes so many books and sometimes we don't actually summarize it. We sometimes we don't say like, what does this all mean for me? Um, and I like the fact that you are reflective about that. Um, do you take time to reflect in your busy schedule? I do. And I think um, this kind of all started for me with a lot of reflection uh, in going down this path um, before ghost probably like many of your listeners i was a young entrepreneur with big dreams i wanted you know i wanted to make it i wanted to make lots of money i wanted to have do something successful i had big um ideas about what that might look like um 
but I always found myself wondering, and whenever I traveled, I found myself wondering more and more, um, where does it all lead? Like, what are the eventual conclusions? And when you, I, I call that game, what's next? Um, and it's a game I think everyone's played. You know, you, you imagine having huge business or winning the lottery or, you know, some, some windfall of lots and lots of money and you go, what next? And in the beginning, that game is really fun. You imagine, you know, buying a Ferrari, quitting a job, um, traveling the world, fulfilling all kinds of life's ambitions. And then it gets a little harder, you know, maybe you start a business, um, give to charity, uh, learn language. And then the, the longer you keep playing that game, it gets harder and harder. Like once you've bought all the houses and the Apple products and the seen all the movies and done all the frivolous things, you know, you've done your, your kind of Grand Theft Auto equivalent life. Um, I, th I know I could, I could spend my way through all those kind of dreams in two, three years what's next then you know what then you wake up on a saturday morning it's sunny outside you have no obligations there's nothing you have to do what do you choose to do what's next then and um that game bugged me for years and my reflection took the form of thinking through that game endlessly and being very frustrated with not coming up with an answer to it and eventually one day i found myself sitting on a beach in the philippines um watching some new friends i'd made who are kite surfing um in front of me um, I had a laptop on my knees and I was writing some open source software. At the time, I was contributing to WordPress as the deputy head of design. And um, the answer hit me like a ton of bricks. My what next at the end of the rainbow was I would be doing this. I would be traveling, making friends with people, kite surfing, working on open source code that I enjoyed. Um, and at the time, I was making maybe $20,000 a year. And while that's, you know, by no means uh, the, an amount that you could retire on and live forever on, mm. it really changed my perspective on what I needed to achieve my ultimate end goal. Because if my ultimate end goal was, once you're bored of the, the Ferrari, what you want to do is sit on a beach in board shorts, watch kite surfers, and write some code for free and open source projects. The requirement to get from point A to point B, if you cut out the middle, uh, seemed like an incredible shortcut. And so the journey of ghosts began with a reflection of what if you don't need that middle part? What if you don't need a mass amount of wealth to reach your ultimate end goal? Um, if you just play out your end goal far enough to a logical, logical conclusion where it's gone beyond money anyway. Mm. And um, everything else started from that point. And I've, I've kind of tried to hold that as my, my North star throughout. And it's, it's so far it's taken me to interesting places and, um, I guess has become the thing that I, I care about the most now. I, I love that. I love that because you you lived out, you know, what Bray Brand calls it, you played the tape. Like you played through the tape. We've seen the show before. Let's go. And you kind of played it out and said, okay, well, what's, and you saved yourself a whole bunch of years. Uh, this is a small question, but it's. I think it's quite important for people that are listening and I want to know the answer to this. When you played the tape, when you went through that whole scenario in your head and you said, what next, what next, what next, you got to the conclusion. You're like, you know what? This is what I love to do. I should just do this and be content with that. What makes you say, you know what? That's a sound idea. I'm right. I'm going to do that and not question yourself and say, oh, who am I to say? This is stupid. What am I talking about? Like, you know, like no one does this. Like most people will not trust their own advice. What makes you trust your own advice? I don't know if I know the answer to that. Um, 
but at the time I was already doing it. I think that helped a lot. Mm. I had to, it was a moment of realization that I was already confronted with it was in front of me, and that made it a lot easier to shift my perspective of um, what crazy huge idea do I need to come up with to achieve a different life to a new question. And the new question was the start of everything for me. And the new question was, um, what small silly idea that I've thrown aside up until now could I pursue that would allow me to continue to do what I'm doing right now easily um, for decades, <laughs> not just a few years? And the new question took me on a new journey. Whereas the old question, this big question of like, what huge idea do I need to be successful had led me nowhere but uh, dead ends. Um, and so I don't know if it was trust in myself or just a better new question to follow mm -hmm. um, that I have not yet found the end of um, that, that helps with that. Have you always asked yourself questions or like, you know, try to come up with better questions to ask yourself? To some extent. Um, this is a kind of a tangent, but uh, I have what's called aphantasia. So um, I'm fascinated no by this. Mental... By the way. I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> I remember when you told me this, it blew my mind, and I was borderline worried I was being offensive because I was asking so many questions. <laughs> but go ahead, please explain. So for people who don't know, um, aphantasia means I have no visual um, or auditory concept of imagination. So uh, when I close my eyes and think of anything at all really um all i see is black and all i hear is nothing now apparently the rest of the world calls this meditation um for me that's my day-to-day -day, uh existence and it has advantages and it has drawbacks um it's, it's a lot harder to be stressed if you're just perpetually clear um obviously it's also a lot harder to do creative things like compose songs in your head or um come up with beautiful artwork or designs in your head and then turn them into reality um so Imagination's a spectrum. Some people have what's called hyperphantasia, which is kind of like being able to project holograms and base reality and um, experience the world in a totally different way. If you remember Michael Scoville from um, Prison Break, yes. that, that was like an example of hyperphantasia. And aphantasia is the opposite. Most people are somewhere in the middle, somewhere along, along that spectrum. But so when you say, do you ask yourself questions a lot? I do, but the way in which I think about um, problems or... Um, challenges is in a very abstract way. So I don't hear a voice in my head asking myself literal questions. But what I do do is is process lots and lots of data. Um, a good metaphor for Aphantasia that I've heard used before is it's like having a computer with three CPUs and no monitor. So you have a command line, you know, you have all the power, it's all right there, but there's no mouse, there's no desktop, you know, it's just raw um, power to churn through data and maybe find interesting patterns in it that you wouldn't otherwise notice if you were limited to uh, what's on a monitor. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, I ask myself questions all the time and I'm, I'm kind of processing ideas all the time, but it's perhaps not in the same way um, people might traditionally ask themselves questions. Obviously, it's very hard for me to no, imagine no. <laughs> no, it's... the other side of this. <laughs> no, but it, I, I this is a common thread I hear in a lot of exceptional people that are successful in a lot of different things in life. Uh, and it's not, it could be different. Like, for example, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, Omar, like, you often, you know, don't worry about what people think and you are, you'll take a stand and you'll take risks and you will try things and you'll fall on your face and you're not worried about it. Where does that come from? And I was just like, uh, and I, I had to really think about it. And it's just because 
growing up in the U.S. as you know a minority, my parents were Egyptian. They're Egyptian. They moved. They migrated to America. You know, somewhere around 11, 12, I realized not everybody's gonna like me. I'm different. I'm weird. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got a weird last name. People go to Disney World for vacation. I'm going to Egypt, and they're laughing at me because I'm whatever they think. There's camels and there's no cars. So, at some point, I accepted the fact that not everybody's gonna like me from a young age and it just was ingrained in me so i think i kind of used that challenge in my life to my advantage and i feel like you have done the same because you just by habit have become a problem solver like you're just and that's what software is you're solving problems constantly and you know what i find fascinating is i i highly recommend people to go to ghost.org uh, which is John's uh, software company. Um, it's a beautifully designed software. And to be the, at the helm of that company and not be able to even envision what that looks like, if I close that monitor and you can't see what the dashboard looks like in your head, <laughs> like that's incredible. That's incredible to me. And it's because you built that muscle of, I don't know if problem solving is the word for it, but basically you're trying to figure things out because you're trying to work around a, a certain situation. Does that sound correct? Yeah, for sure. I was, of course, one of the great um, and typical ironies is I'm, I, I can't see things or hear things in any way, shape or form. So my two biggest passions in life are user interface design and music. Um, and I pursued them uh, nonstop in work and outside of work but uh, with great frustration because my creative process is, um, I have a single creative process, which is trial and error. And that is not the most fun creative process. I I cannot conceive of anything in advance. So I have to try things, then see if they make sense or if um, I like them in the context of having already done it uh, and decide whether or not to change it. There's no uh, conceiving of it before creating it. And that's very, very difficult and very, I annoy myself in the process of trying to design anything, make any art, make any music, but um, a lot of trial and error, I guess. Yeah, but I think we have that in common. Like I'm a trial and error guy. Like I'm like Nicole, my my business partner and my wife, she's the kind of person like, you know, for example, if she she was going to start a podcast, for example, she she would spend a month researching it, figuring out, looking at the competition, understand what's the sound, what are we going to do, how are we going to tweak the music, all this. I would just put out episode one in one weekend. You know, like I would just figure it out. Do I like this? Okay, maybe not. Let's tweak this, change this. And it's funny because the way I approach things sounds crazy to her. Like, why would you do that? Like, you have all this time. You can figure it out. And the way she does it, I'm like, what? But... I can definitely relate to the, I just feel like it's faster for me just to put it out and then tweak it. You don't have a choice. So, but but, um, in some ways, a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people that I've, you know, read said, you know, it's good to fail fast and just, uh, you know, get it going. Um, Speaking of getting going, (laughs) you got something going a few years back with Ghost, ghost ghost.org. Please correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you came from the world of WordPress um very much involved in uh in the publishing content game um i have to say first of all like i I started my first online business in 2001 this is prior to wordpress was even prevalent like you know so when wordpress came it was like a godsend i was like what in the world this is so easy to use and you know like with my minimal development skills i can make a lot of things happen um 
you decided to build something better right? Because I, I believe it's better. Um, recently on an episode I just published, you know, I can no longer recommend WordPress as the best. And I'm not saying this because you're here. It, it's just, it's just unfortunately kind of morphed into something that is too much. It's just too big now. And it's just not, it's too clunky. It's not, it's not what it needs to be for most people. So why mm -hmm. did you decide and think that you can build something better than WordPress? So this kind of um, picks up from uh, the last part of the story, where I, at the point at which I started thinking about what small idea that I've thrown aside in the past um, as not being worthy enough of uh, achieving mass success, could I pursue that would allow me to continue uh, the life I'm currently leading, which I'm quite enjoying. Um, the idea that had been stuck in my head uh, for at least two years that I had discarded over and over again because it was a silly idea was what if you reimagined WordPress? Because having worked on the WordPress core team and seen it grow from a uh, very small CMS into quite very popular blogging platform, then into pretty large content management system, I'd kind of seen it undergo this transition from being a tool for a specific purpose, which was writing and creation online, to a generic website builder that was for absolutely anything and absolutely everyone. But all of my interests and all of my um, client work I was doing as a web designer was all around publishing, all around writing, all around blogging. And I had always, um, or for, for a very long time, I'd thought about what if you rethought WordPress, made a new open source content management that was true to the original ideals of WordPress of free open software that does one thing really incredibly well, and that's serve creators um, online. Um, and I'd thrown that idea aside because who wants yet another blogging platform, you know? Um, and that was true in 2012 as much <laughs> as it is now. It's crazy. Um, but that idea was still in my head. And lo and behold, the same year, um, I published an idea as a blog post about Ghost and how I would reimagine WordPress. Medium launched, um, a very popular platform called Subtle was around at the time. And there was this suddenly this mini renaissance of uh, all kinds of new blogging platforms um, and lots of interest for people who um, maybe would consider yet another blogging platform. Um, so that was, that was the start. That was the origin, was accepting an idea that I'd previously thrown away as not being good enough. Mm. And thinking through how to make it work. If you change the ambition from, I need this to be a million dollar business and make me really, really successful to, I don't need this to be a million dollar business. I need this to be a $20,000 business. I, f I figured I could make almost anything a $20,000 business, you know? Um, and suddenly the idea didn't seem so silly anymore. You mm. know, you wouldn't need it to be the next Twitter or the next Facebook. You just need it to serve a smaller group of people who really want that one thing. And that, um, freeing myself of the constraints of huge ambition allowed me much, much more creativity in thinking about what might be possible. Um, and so that was, that was the beginning. That was the seed of yeah. trying to rethink WordPress and do something similar, but different. So what year did you put uh, ghost on uh, Kickstarter and launch ghost? Beginning of 2013. So it was one blog post. Um, I, I put out into the world. I said, here's my idea. Mm. thinking um, it will probably flop. No one will be interested. And then at least I would have written about the idea and I could stop thinking about it. 30,000 email subscribers later, because I had a little box at the bottom that said, this doesn't exist, but if you want it to, leave your email and I'll let you know if I ever build it. Um, 
30,000 email addresses later, I decided to make a prototype and put it on Kickstarter. That took about um, six months or so. Mm. Uh, and then the initial goal of the Kickstarter campaign was just to raise $30,000 to get it going, just as a small project. Yeah. Um, it, completely true to all of the things I've said so far. Uh, what happens in actual fact was we ended up raising $300,000 um, it's the second was at the time the second most funded open source software project of all time on Kickstarter, and then Microsoft came in with a um, pretty generous. We don't really want anything in return sponsorship of another fifty thousand dollars on the end of that. So it quickly went from, um, and this has kind of been consistent through every step of the journey since then. Is every time I've sort of shrank my ambitions and gone, you know what? I'm not going to shoot for the moon. I'm going to shoot for just a thing that I is smaller that I really care about. Um, it has blown up into something much bigger than I thought it would be. Uh, and this was the first and second iteration of, of that happening. So I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, we're going to talk about what Ghost is today because it's very different than what it was when you launched. Um, and I mean by very different, like, you're really not competing with WordPress anymore. Like, you're, you're, you're a total That's different right. market. Um, yeah. And you at some point, I'm guessing you decided to kind of go into that market and pivot and kind of say, I don't want to use pivot, but just say, you know what, we need to niche down and differentiate uh, for for various reasons. But I want to first talk mm -hmm. about what did that MVP look like? Because I know a lot of people are listening. Um, when they think about starting a business, you know, they think about McDonald's and Walmart. Like, no, like, you know, sell some hamburgers at the flea market, you know, so uh, what did your MVP look like so that we can see the contrast, you know, eight years later? Yes. Um, I think this is really important. The MVP we brought to Kickstarter, um, I don't know if you could even call it that. We had a, we had a few things working. We had like the very, very basics of an editor kind of, um, that you could demo. So I made some screencasts that were part of the, the Kickstarter video and, and a bunch of mockups, obviously, which were mostly Photoshop. Um, I would say maybe 30% of the product was working and it is a total of, uh, I don't know, maybe 50 files worth of code of which a lot of that was other people's code because dependencies. But the, to, to kind of illustrate how much was not there, uh, there's a point in the demo video where I kind of dragged and drop an image ostensibly uploading it to the product, but it didn't work. You know, like if you drag an image onto a browser window that doesn't support uploading and the icon just zooms back to the desktop, yeah. it did that. And I screen recorded it and I just cut out the part where it zoomed back to the desktop and then skipped to the next part with, with an image placed in the editor. It's going to do it. It's going to do it. <laughs> it. looks like an instant image upload. And... Um, a lot of the animations and things that were kind of just popping in in the demo video were just screenshots. So it was, I guess, what some people call a smoke test. It was kind of half there. There were bits and pieces working, but a lot of it was um, faked, for want of a, a better word. Yeah. It wasn't the important stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't like, there's no way we could build this product and we're pretending we can. It was, we can build this product and we've built the most important parts, like the editor, mm. and then we're going to fake the rest to make it kind of look good. Because yeah. what I didn't want to do was spend two years building a prototype, taking it to Kickstarter, losing the momentum, only to discover $3,000 flop. That would be two years of my life gone. I, I wanted to get out the door quickly, validate, is there enough interest in this? It's all very well getting people to say, oh, that's a great blog post, awesome idea. 
but would they say that's a great idea and i'm going to give you money for it mm. that's a very very different question so i wanted to just make it happen fast see if the idea was real and then if it was then you know then we could go back and do it properly then we could go back and um you know really build it and and cut the deal with the cut corners right <laughs> which we did yeah um and when you first started it, what ghost did was basically you can publish blog posts right yeah so th that's As, that was a promise right yeah okay <laughs> so uh, i, I want to highlight that because some people don't think that's sexy enough people think that oh i need everything my competition does and more even to launch you know like at, at that point you did far less than squarespace and uh wordpress and all these other uh you know competitors um so why did people sign up if if it did less I think if you have a market where the, and there's many of these, where the leading um, alternative or the leading player, for want of a better word, is almost universally exhausting people by how complex it is, um, you can do almost nothing as an alternative and it will still be a brush of fresh air, fresh air for people because they're just so tired of how confusing and how complex um, the other thing is. So our earliest, strongest, most vocal early adopters, um, they just wanted to publish a blog post. They didn't want to deal with all of the plugins and the security risks and um, the slow performance. Um, so even just solving that one thing, even without all of the other features which were important that we did introduce later, um, that was already um, meaningful to them to the extent that they would want to use the products. Um, the second part that I think helped was we had uh, a, a story to go with the product that was thought through. It wasn't just, Here this, here's this thing, it's nice to use, it's better, um, you know, definitely use it with the potential risk that we would shut down and disappear in a few years. We had figured out a business model. We said to people like, here's how we're going to make this work. It's going to be open source, so no one can take it away from you. We're going to be financially sustainable, so we're going to continue to invest and improve over time. And here's the model that we're going to use, which was open source, nonprofit, and um, had a very strong philosophy of how we were going to build the products. And I think that engendered a lot of um, confidence in early adopters, A, that we were going to stick with it, and B, that the ideas were going to be seen through in a way that seemed like um, they would support them, the mm. end user, uh, not just grow a company as big as possible and then screw over everyone in the end, which, you know, uh, how many times have we seen that? Tumblr Habits. to Yahoo to, and onwards. Yeah. Um, so those things in, in combination, I think, made a big difference to yeah. why people still were interested in just that one basic, basic, basic feature. <laughs> uh, these are two, this is not a, a question. This is just a couple comments uh, that I'm getting from it. One, um, you're obviously a good communicator. Just our conversation right now, you could tell. Um, but if you read any of your copy, any of the emails that you send, any of the, you know, uh, even the, the first Kickstarter, if you go back and, and search that, um, I, I believe a lot of the success you've had is just being able to communicate your idea. And a lot of people don't undervalue the, 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 the skill of communication and just being able to communicate your ideas. So um, this is a great reminder for me. Um, and, and then the second thing that I love about what you just shared you know, is that 
it's easy for you to to downplay your own thing don't you're not buying your product don't use your own opinion let other people tell you let other people tell you if they want it or not you know you're i often feel like i'm too close to the grain you know um and you never know what's going to happen you never know what people need it's hard for us as human beings to imagine like a large amount of people like millions of people and the different needs of nearly we only probably know 50 people you know <laughs> and that's your frame of reference so um so those are just two comments I kind of want to put in there so let's fast forward now eight years later you just released ghost version four a few months ago um mm -hmm. this is a totally different thing compared to what you just talked about ghost right now is basically a platform you can run a business on. You can run any kind of content business on Ghost. You can earn money, you can sell products, you can sell memberships. Like now you're in a different ball game. How did that happen in terms of like now I'm, now I'm competing with, you know, sometimes ConvertKit and sometimes you're gonna be, you know, competing mm -hmm. with a Squarespace. You're gonna be competing with uh, some course platforms maybe sometimes, you know, kind of thing. Uh, how did that happen? And, why did you decide to now say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go into an even more red ocean and crowded market and competitive space. <laughs> we started out with a goal to make um, the simplest, easiest, nicest online publishing experience and felt like we achieved that within a couple of years. And we had uh, the products that did you know, the one thing really well and people liked it for that. But around the same time we solved that problem, Medium solved that problem really well and was completely free. Obviously, didn't have as many of the you know open source and be able to completely brand it however you want benefits, but it solved that problem really well. And um, LinkedIn started its you know kind of blog network. Uh, Tumblr was still kind of at peak then. Uh, there was a lot of other products that kind of solved the same thing around the same time. And as we were kind of looking around, going okay, well, um, it feels like as on the whole that's solved for everyone now what you know what what else is there what what's what other problems are people having that our products um can address in a way that is meaningfully different to what else is out there and as we kind of looked around and listened to our um users and our audience the thing that came back again and again and again was business model and even in this is um about two years after we launched around 2015 even then advertising um on independent sites was on the decline because uh, this was when Facebook was in full boom, like all ad dollars were basically moving to Facebook and or YouTube. And people were struggling more and more to make money from advertising, uh, which I don't think is a coincidence for why clickbait really took off around that era because the remaining publishers are more and more desperate to get those clicks, to get the declining ad rates, to get more and more views. All those things kind of aligned. And... Um, so we started looking at business models. How do you how do you have um, a business model for an independent publisher or a creator where they can sustain what they're doing, continue to do it, and not be reliant on these ad dollars, which are which are just disappearing and harder and harder to get? And there was a couple of really early examples of publishers who are using the the SaaS, the software as a service business model uh, of subscriptions, in a really effective way. And the the biggest by far was Ben Thompson at Stratechery, and Ben does. Um, analysis of, of the whole tech industry as a weekly newsletter, well, a daily newsletter. Weekly, it's free. And then if you want it every day, there's a paid version. And he was doing very well. 
and we ourselves by this point had built a recurring subscription business um, which allowed us really stable fantastic um, economics where we knew exactly how much money we made this month we knew exactly how much money we would make the next month we could track our growth on a chart and it was you could like clockwork predict how much money you would make 12 months from now 24 months from now 36 months from now the cash flow is completely stable so you could plan your hires around it and it seemed like this business model is really great and people are getting pretty used to subscriptions spotify is getting pretty big apple tv is kind of upcoming it's not quite there but there's rumors about it um what if this was more accessible to everyone and at the time this was not a crowded market at all in 2015 talking about memberships was like there are three wordpress plugins and um one horrible old software products that is trying to do this and that doesn't seem like there's much of a market for it. Um, but we started exploring what memberships inside the products could mm. look like. And if you connected a publisher directly to an audience and you created a one-to-one relationship with our advertisers where the publisher would have to continue to create meaningful um, content to keep their audience around because the audience is the customer. And if you don't please the customer, then the customer leaves. Uh, that seemed like way better dynamics than clickbait and outrage and get as many views as possible just in order to stay in business. Mm. So we kind of started way back in 2015 thinking about memberships, paid subscriptions, but with a small team, it, um, it took us many years to, to realize the ambition of uh, exploring such a big new feature. Obviously, going from publishing blog posts yep. to managing a subscription business, pretty as you identified, pretty big shift in where we started and where we were going to. But it, at the same time, felt like a natural evolution that stayed true to our original audience, um, but expanded it into solving the real problem they had, which was, how do I do this for a living? Not just, how do I do this for fun? And that felt exciting to us. So. Um, yeah, it, it took us about three years to get the first kind of beta version of that going. And that's partially because it's hard to build, partially because we had a really small team that already had tons of work to keep, you know, keep the existing thing going. And uh, just this year, we kind of brought all of that out of beta and um, launched it formally uh, in a way that's accessible to absolutely anyone. So now um, people can use Ghost to publish online, but also sell premium access to uh, the content that they're publishing, whether that's uh, writing or a newsletter or courses or lessons um, or podcasts, in fact. Um, the SaaS, the subscription business model that the software industry and the tech industry has had so much success with for so much time is now available to absolutely everyone. And the biggest difference in what we do compared to um, you know, what things like Patreon do is we've stayed true to the open source model, and that means you own the technology. And that's so, so significant um, when you're running a business on the internet, because if you are building your entire business on some technology that you don't own and you don't control, it can and frequently does um, get changed underneath you either um, because they make some changes to the rules or they make some changes to their business model or they make some changes to selling the company to someone else. Um, If you don't own the technology you're building a business on, um, you're always at the behest of someone else. And there's a huge, huge risk factors to that. So all the technology we build is still free. It's still open source. That means you own the intellectual property. If we shut down, if we disappear as a company, you still have the software. You can run it on a Raspberry Pi. You can run it on any host in the world. And um, that longevity, that um, future-facing, we're creating a piece of technology that will stand the test of time and be around and be accessible to everyone uh, with or without us as a company behind it. 
is a really significant part of why people now use Ghost. I like the fact they pointed it out because that that's a hard thing to communicate to the masses. You know, like that's a hard selling it point because some people are just like, man, I just need to make a buck. You know, like, you know, like, I, I don't want to sound crude, but some people are just focused on their work and focused on their content. The, the, this concept, like, I don't even know if this thing is a real or it's going to really make me any money yet. And you're talking about being acquired. Uh, maybe your company's going to get acquired or whatever if I don't use open source. Um, but mm -hmm. it, it's actually, it, I think it's pretty interesting that you chose this model where, you know, for those who don't know, you, you know, Ghost's software, the code is open source. If you wanted to, you can take, download the code and upload it on any server you have or any any server in the world and run Ghost. Um, you're, yep. You make money through a managed uh, a managed solution where if you don't want to do that, you don't want to deal with that and you, and you want some support and you want some, uh, you know, with the installation, but also just with running it month to month, uh, you have a managed solution, which is very inexpensive um, for them to uh, go monthly or annually uh, to run Ghost, just like any other kind of SaaS or any kind of like uh, subscription-based kind of software. Um, so I really love that, but I need to talk about the other side of your business, which the fact that it's a non-for-profit. Um, just for context, guys, for those who are listening, John spent the last eight years building this business spent a lot of time, a lot of effort, probably sacrificed a whole bunch of stuff he doesn't want to say in public. Um, you know, whether it's emotions, whether it's tears, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whatever it is, I don't know, but I, I can relate because I know I did. Yeah, exactly. When John decides to retire or dies, he gets nothing. Why did you choose to do that? So if we go back to the um, thesis of if you want to keep doing um, what you're doing and you decide to stick on the smaller idea, the one you cast aside previously because you think you can have success with that, you and you no longer need it to be a multi-million dollar business in order to achieve your goals because your goals have shifted, or mine had. The parameters for what structure you need the business to follow and what rules you have to play by to achieve your goals become very different. And so when my ambition shifted from I want to build a million dollar business to I want to build a business that can pay me a reasonable salary for forever that I enjoy working on, um, there's kind of this niggling question that entered my mind around then of, well, okay, what if you try actively not to build a million dollar business? What if you completely subvert the formulas that everyone else uses in an effort to build a million dollar business and you do your very, very best not to build a million dollar business? You try actively to prevent the creation of an enormous business because you've decided that you neither need nor want one. What do you do then? Like, how, how do you play that out? How do you... You just cut off the pretext. Like, you're just like, there is no way I yeah. can be a billionaire yes you remove that possibility entirely and then you start following that to its logical conclusion what happens and as, as i started kind of thinking through this new version of the what's next game a whole lot of interesting um potential answers started falling out of it so if you structured the company as a non-profit 
uh, it could never be bought or sold, which means you could never become a billionaire because no one could ever offer you a billion dollars for it. So you cut that off. Great. But then what decisions do you make as a result of never being able to sell the company? Well, over the lifetime of a company, and particularly if you work on one for a decade or more, um, there's a lot of decisions you make along the way. And one of the traps um, entrepreneurs can fall into is in justifying uh, the means for the ends. So yet another late night oh my gosh. Uh, over and over and over again, because, you know, one day you just punched me in the stomach. By the way. You just punched me in the stomach right now with those words. <laughs> <laughs> one day it's going to be worth it, right? There's this, there's this going to be this payday, this imaginary payday. And in reality, the payday almost never comes, but even for those, when it does come, it's a huge, enormous trade-off you're making. Um, and the decisions aren't necessarily good because of it. I've seen companies and friends' companies um, make huge product decisions because they thought uh, this big company might want to acquire us if we have this feature that is complementary to this other thing they do. And we need to hire this uh, amount of people really fast because that's going to attract the next round of investors. And then that's going to, next round of investors is going to give us a big valuation and then that's how we're going to sell. And so all of this reasoning is around this potential um, one day selling the company completely shifts uh, the day-to-day -day operation of the company in significant and insignificant and conscious and unconscious ways at every single level. But if you cut that off completely, what happens? Well, you get this weird purity of in every decision, is this going to be something that will allow me to work on the business for a long time and still like it? And is it are the customers going to like it? And what other considerations are there? Well, there kind of aren't any because there's no justifications. There's no potential payday at the end of the tunnel. There's no uh, means or ends that need justifying. So you end up kind of making every decision based on creating this company that you're stuck with. And so what you do is you make a company that you're kind of happy to be stuck with because that's the only company you're ever going to have. And as I started imagining how this might play out, potentially, hypothetically, because I never heard of anyone you know, trying to do things in this way, it's, it just started seeming more and more and more attractive to me. And then I liked the purity of, well, if it's a nonprofit, no one can question your motives. No one can say, oh, well, you only did that because you're trying to X, Y, and Z. You, know, you could say, no, I'm a nonprofit. Like, I'm making the best possible thing I can. You can't question my motives. It's clear. I don't own a single share in Ghost. I do not own any part of the company and nor does anyone else. Um, I'm a trustee. I can direct the company like a shareholder can in terms of um, the, the power to make decisions, but I, I don't own any part of it. There's no capital. And um, so you, my motives are pretty, are pretty transparent. Um, and I like that. It, it fit with open source, which is also open and transparent. It fit with journalism which when journalism works, it's founded on integrity and principles of, of openness and transparency and honesty. And when it doesn't work is exactly when those things have disappeared. So it felt like these, these pillars um, just made sense. And at various points over the years, I've been offered tens of millions of dollars to uh, change my mind and do some sort of seed investment uh, or some sort of series A. And the structure of the company has allowed me to say, you know, no matter how weak I am as a human being, I have my past self has precluded my future weakness from being able to change my my um, my mission and my morals on this. And 
at various points, hindsight 2020, every single time I've been so, so grateful uh, that I've not been able to change the course. Um, being completely locked into the course um, that we set early, early on has been such a gift. It has come with many, many other challenges, of course. Uh, I don't want to paint this as like a really easy road, it, the opposite. But um, it has been in every way the correct one for, for us. I mean, two things. First of all, this makes total sense now that I know who you are. Like, you're not somebody who is in love with accumulating assets. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, you're, you, you, by nature, you like to enjoy the moment and you enjoy the good things in life and and you're not really worried about I need to I need to buy a few houses or I need to, you know, make my mark on this earth. You know, a lot of people have this mindset, you know, in Australia, yeah. being a homeowner is like you got to be crazy if you don't want to be a homeowner kind of thing. Like, even though it makes zero <laughs> sense, like to buy real estate in Sydney right now. But mm -hmm. um, that's the first thing. It's very much in line with who you are. The second thing is that this the decision you made from the start. That one big decision simplifies all decisions in the future. Like the all, and I can just speak from my own experience with Webinar Ninja for the last seven years. Any huge mistake, I, I can list them on one hand, like big mistakes that cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? These are all mistakes. I can always link it back to a decision I made based on something that I don't have control over. Like maybe in the future, this will help me, blah, blah, blah. And I've always regretted it. I've oh, and, and you know, I'm learning this the hard way. The last big decision I made like that, that cost me big time, you know, um, really hurt to the point where just like, it made me stop and think like, why am I doing this to myself? Why don't I just focus on what I can control? You know, and if in a funny way, this all happened during the pandemic, and that's really been my motto during lockdown and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, got to focus on what you can control. Um, mm -hmm. And you can't focus on what you, what, what you just, what may or may not happen in the future. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. That's what we all learned in, in 2020 and beyond. Um, the, the other th thing I want to just touch on or, or ask you about is your life. You live a very, uh, I would say, um, flexible life, meaning that you, you don't have a resident, right? You don't, you don't like live somewhere for most of the year. You're, you're pretty <laughs> flexible and you're, you're, you, you move around a bit. Um, how has that been with the pandemic? And how do you, uh, how do you choose where you go next? And how do you choose what you want to do uh, and, and how long to stay? This was another um, parameter that really fed into the type of business I wanted to create and the type of business I wanted to be stuck with because I had grown up, uh, my parents traveled a lot, and so I was kind of carted all over the world. And sort of as a result, I, I carried on doing that later in life. Um, believe it or not, even in 2011, the word digital nomad was uncool um, and cliched like when I started doing it. Mm. So if you think it's tired now, um, I can't even tell you. But I had always enjoyed um, moving around because growing up in so many different places, nowhere felt like home. So home for me has always kind of been on the road to some extent. And uh, I've lived three to six months at a time in various places everywhere. And I, I wanted to continue doing that. I didn't want to change that. I didn't want to start a company which would then require me to uh, have an office somewhere and go and, I don't know, live in London or San Francisco or something. That wasn't appealing. Uh, so we were full remote from 
from the very beginning. Now, in, in 2021, that is not a remarkable or interesting uh, thing to talk about. In fact, we've just started removing some of the, from our hiring page, our careers page, we started removing some of the, hey, we're a remote company language because everyone's a remote company now. Like that's no longer a differentiator, but it was new and different then. And um, the most of the startup mantra, you know, follow this playbook was move to San Francisco, mm-hmm. do a seed round, go to YC, open an office. I didn't want to do any of that. So I wanted to carry on traveling and do, again, what I had already been doing. I wanted to maintain what I had already been doing. And um, at the time, I was kiteboarding a lot, and most of my travel decisions were driven by uh, which country has the best windy season where I can go and do lots of kiteboarding. Funnily enough, I lived in um, Egypt for three and a half years doing that um, in a little town called Elguna on the Red Sea. Elguna, yeah. A beautiful place to be. Yeah, close to Argana. And um, that's it. A lot of uh, early years of ghosts were were built from there, kiteboarding uh, when it was windy and uh, coding nonstop taxi when it was sir, not windy. Taxi, sir, um, <laughs> I'm sure you heard that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, funnily enough, nowadays... I mean, to go back to your original question about how did the pandemic affect it, we we got kind of lucky. We decided, um, my wife and I decided to spend a year in Thailand um, and got long, long-term visas. Normally we we do just kind of three to six months based on whatever the easiest visa is and then leave to make sure we're um, not overstaying uh, our welcome in any capacity. But we decided to stay in Thailand a little bit longer and got long-term visas genuinely two weeks before um, COVID kicked in. We had a year-long visa and we'd signed a year-long lease on a, like a really nice house in in thailand and for the first time in for me in 10 years had um established like a a little base of stability uh that came right as we needed it and it was there was no skill in that decision do you know what i mean it was one of the most fortunate um pieces of timing of of my life probably because in any other year the tiny airbnbs that i normally kind of frequent that are fine for a few weeks or months at a time would have been really really horrible to be locked down Mm. in um but we, we got very lucky having a stable base. And now um, we just started traveling again a little bit. We're vaccinated. Wherever is open, uh, we can kind of move to. Um, I'm in Grenada right now, which is the southernmost island in, in the Caribbean. And um, traveling by wind again. At the moment, I'm uh, living on a sailboat. And so uh, the wind once more is the seasonal guide for where to go next. Um, and the format which is the backdrop for all of the work, um, which I still enjoy doing just as much as back when I started out. That's lovely. I just love that. Um, I want to wrap up with one question here. Um, What was, if you look back in the last eight years of building Ghost, what was the most challenging moment that you can recall in that journey? And what was the most joyful moment? been so many um challenging moments i think the single most challenging um pattern that recurred and was a constant theme in the last eight years that um podcasts or or stories rather like this do a poor job of illustrating is that it's always very easy um there's no quote from a steve jobs commencement speech it's always very easy to connect the dots in hindsight yes. and to make sense of the steps that have already been taken. 
But at every single stage, um, every single one of those stepping stones that we've talked about in the last um, in the last hour, I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. I didn't feel like there was a clear path from the step that had just been taken to the one that was coming next. And there was so much uncertainty about whether or not it would work, whether or not anyone would care, whether or not the people using our product really liked it or like, mm-hmm. do they not like it? We're not really getting that much feedback. Do we know who our audience is? Is it too technical? There's a lot of bugs. Do we fix the bugs? Do we work on the new features? Like what's the highest value thing we could do? Uncertainty um, in its many, many forms has been a universally consistent challenge throughout the journey. And I think it never goes away. It just changes form as, as you progress through different stages of a business. But um, I guess what I'm saying is if you feel like you have no idea what you're doing and you listen to podcasts like this and it sounds like people do know what they're doing, they don't. It's just that the stories only sound good when you talk about eventually the parts that finally did make sense because otherwise it would be an hour of people just saying, we have no idea what we're doing. But that's the reality. Um, so that's the biggest challenge. Uh, the most joyful moments... I think by far I've been the team retreats Um, and it's difficult to quantify without reaching for cliches, but um, the people you choose to share the journey with are the ones who will make it the best or the worst thing you ever do. And another part of um, my kind of way of looking at business and and trying to achieve balance and building a business that you want to be stuck with is a complete um, unwillingness to work with people who I don't love. And as a result, the team at Ghost uh, is a group of humans who are not just unbelievably talented at what they do, but I love hanging out with every single one of them. And it's been almost two years since we've had a retreat, but the retreats when we get together and hang out, it's like, it's like being around best friends you've had your whole life and you also respect every single one of them because you know how good they are what they do and um those are the moments you remember which is weird it's never the the product launch for me it's never the product launches it's never the the press articles the press articles the ones i don't i remember the least it's it's the moments you share with the people who are on the journey with you um and so i I can't that's what i value the most by far of uh, of everything and the the moments that brought me the most joy i think consistently have been those rightfully so man rightfully so i mean and i i agree with that like in our last retreat was 2019 um yeah and that was just a, such a wonderful moment just to be around the people that work so hard for the thing that you decided to start you decided should exist in the world and they all kind of just said all right let's do it like you know that you know why not like this sounds like a good idea and 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 uh, it, it's a it's a sacrifice for them to travel and to spend a week with you and all that kind of stuff and just to see them have fun and see them be recognized you feel a sense of like almost like a papa bear like you know somehow these guys like me enough to keep working you know and it just feels good it feels good to know that you're able to kind of bring people together and um it also feels good that you're able to kind of uh you know build those relationships with people that you know, maybe don't, you don't see eye to eye on every single thing in the world, but 
you do have a common vision for what you're trying to build. So that's that's super special. John, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Um, this is one of my favorite conversations of the year. Uh, and uh, I hope that many people who are listening today uh, re-listen, take some notes, um, because this is this is you know hours and years and and time and effort condensed into one hour, just kind of giving it to you on a silver platter. So thanks, John, again. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Support for today's show comes from Sleeper. Sleeper is a fantasy sports app that was founded with the intention of connecting people through sports. It features fantasy NFL, NBA, and LCS League of Legends. No matter how you play, whether it's Redraft, Destiny, Best Ball, you're given total control over the league and the draft experience. One of the best parts is that Sleeper is free and has no ads. It's a genuinely premium fantasy experience. Plus, Integrated chat allows you to interact with league mates more. No more annoying group me chats or iMessages that exclude Android users. Making trades, dishing trash talk, and the overall game day experience are simply elevated and made easier. With a clean, modern user interface, Sleeper feels totally unlike other older fantasy apps with its sleek design. At its core, Sleeper users talk more with their friends and league mates, and their leagues simply feel that difference. Download Sleeper for the best fantasy sports experience available. If you're ready to play fantasy sports, see for yourself why millions have made Sleeper the fastest growing fantasy platform. If you're new to fantasy sports, try out Sleeper's new matchmaking feature to find a league and get started. What did I tell you? What did I tell you about this conversation? Absolute gold. I want to thank John for his time, but I also want to thank you for listening to this conversation, for investing the time to get a fresh perspective on things, to start asking yourself some important questions, maybe even go through that what next exercise to figure out what would you do and enjoy doing every single day. One of the things that we didn't get into in the conversation that I want to highlight is the concept of patience. You know, John's been running his business for eight years now, and we talked about how simple his MVP was and how far he's come since then. So take this and get some perspective. Really think about, you know, it's going to take me a few years to get some momentum. It's going to take me a few years to make the money I'm looking for. It's going to take me another few years to be a household name and have big brands use my product. Having the patience to build the right product for you, for your business and your lifestyle is well worth it. So be patient, be persistent, and above all, serve your customers. Thanks so much for listening to The $100 MBA Show. If you love this format, if you want to hear more extended interviews, extended chats, we would like to do more of them. Maybe uh, do them a little bit more frequently, maybe once every two weeks or so. But we want to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app and let us know what you think of this episode and if you want to hear more like it. And while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. John Nolan is yet another example of somebody who has some challenge in their life. He literally can't picture things in his head. And yet, he was a deputy head of design over at WordPress. He's built an incredible, visually beautiful platform online. He's carved out a life that makes him happy. We are all going to be faced with some limitation, with some challenge, with something. That's not a question. 
The question is, is are you going to overcome that? Are you going to understand that you just have to figure out a way through it or even use it to your advantage? This doesn't define John O'Nolan, but it's something that I picked up on that I really found inspiring because you will be challenged in business and how you react to that challenge is really going to define what will happen next your level of success, your level of happiness, how you interpret that situation will dictate a lot. So I hope that inspired you as well. Thanks so much for listening and I'll check you in tomorrow's episode. I'll see you then. Take care.